In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Around here, people love to dress up in woolly hats and coats in this first sign of a slightly chilly wind. Oh, it's, it's like, cosplay, isn't it? It's, it's cosplay <laughs> winter. You go to LA and everyone's like, oh, it's so cold. And you're like, why have I got mittens on? What are you t- like? Yeah, I think you lose your edge when you live in a warm place too long. You do mm-hmm. kind of, you, you change. Listeners, please let us know. Yeah. I, people are shaking their fists. <laughs> I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. And this week, as you may have guessed by that intro, we are exploring winter travel and all that that entails, from holiday breaks to warm weather vacations to escape the cold. And maybe it feels a little early to be talking about this. Near where I live here in Sausalito, California, the pumpkins have just arrived, which I don't know quite how I feel about, but it does mean that winter will be here sooner rather than later. And if it's anything like the summer and travel, it's probably best to plan ahead. So we're going to do that today. Also, a quick note that this episode marks the final episode for season two of Unpacked. We'll be back in your feed in early January 2024. But until then, be sure to check out our other podcast, Travel Tales by Far. It's a series of first-person stories about trips that change us in some way. And season four kicks off on Thursday, October 5th. We'll link to it in our show notes. But now, back to winter. For this episode, I spoke with the two editors who make up our mighty destination team here at Afar, as well as the freelance writer who handles our monthly Where to Go columns. They share tips on surprising winter destinations, the best Christmas markets in the U.S. and abroad, and even how to pack winter gear, or how not to pack it. There are some debates in this one. Okay, let's get to it. Well, everyone, welcome back to Unpack. The band is truly back together again. It's so nice to see your faces in the squares. 
<laughs> How's everyone doing today? We're all dreaming of winter because it's so hot here in New York when we're recording. So this is this is like a mental ice cube that is just cooling me down. <laughs> Get right in yes. the headspace. Well, with that in mind, can we all go around and introduce ourselves? And if you want to share what beverage you have in hand. I'm, I'm Mark Elwood. I'm in New York sweltering on what feels like the only hot day we've had in the summer. And I don't have anything in my hand, but I'm sort of hallucinating a pina colada because it feels like the weather isn't work weather, but I'm at my desk. Yeah, yeah. I'm also in New York. Hey, everyone. I'm Chloe. I'm the associate editor of Destinations here at Afar. And as you may hear, I am in my Harlem apartment right now. I actually do have a drink, and it is a mango steam tea that I am. Amazing. It's iced because, as Mark said, it is sweltering outside. <laughs> I'm Tim Chester, deputy editor, based out in the LA area, where it's actually not that hot today. We don't even have the aircon on, so wow. I'm winning on that front, I suppose. Still in shorts, <laughs> but yeah, nice. And as you know, I'm Aislinn, and I'm in Sausalito, and it actually feels like winter here. And so I have a hot coffee in my hand. <laughs> no, no whiskey in there, though, as much as I would like that. Oh, go um, on. There's a little bit in there. Go <laughs> on. <laughs> Maybe a splash. Who knows? Um, all right. Well, we're here to talk about winter today. And so, you know, we're getting those mental ice cubes going. Where are you all at in terms of your, your winter planning? Nowhere. <laughs> I haven't got that far and I'm just doing the research for this I've, I've realized that um the advice is to plan out a half a year ahead I'll, we'll get to that later but should have already planned it the main thing I'm thinking about is the first week in January I'm dictated by school calendars um all the schools yeah. are closed uh hopefully things will be cheaper hopefully I'll be able to get the time off work and um gonna figure out somewhere to go but planning wise I'm hasn't started. <laughs> I love the honesty. I think that's it's good because a lot of people are probably in the same boat, myself included. Chloe, Mark, how about you? <laughs> well, I already know Mark's going to be on a completely different wavelength than me, <laughs> but I'm also kind of nowhere. I have a friend who's going to Mexico. Yeah, kind of same time that you're, I guess, thinking of traveling, the first week of January or like early January. Um, and she's I think going to be in Tulum area, but she was like wondering if I wanted to come to like Mexico City with her and explore. So I think there's some ideas floating around, but I don't think there have been any definitives that have been made yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my travel plan till about mid-February, but that's because I have a very busy work schedule for Q4. So I'm going to Australia for a story. I'm going to Cannes for the big travel fair that a lot of us go to. I'm going to Puglia for another a travel conference. So a lot of my travel is not the fun stuff. It'll be great fun, but it's planned because yeah. I had to plan ahead. But I am going to go. My birthday's in the winter. And my favorite thing to do for my birthday is go to Venice in February, because I think Venice in February is the Venice of your dreams, not your nightmares. And I don't know why anyone would go in the summer. And it baffles me that people don't flood there in the winter. Why? <laughs> I feel like we need to know more. <laughs> Venice is like a Henry James novel brought to life. It is glamorous, decayed, a little naughty. You're not quite sure what's going on or what is around the corner. And in winter, you wander through these damp streets and it starts snowing and you duck into a cafe and have a little ombretto of Prosecco. And then you go back out into the streets. It gets dark really early and you sit in candlelit restaurants that are half full mm. of people. And you just think, oh, this, this is beautiful. 
in July, you walk in, you smell the canal, turn around and think, why did I come? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I know. Let's all go. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh! I remember Mark when you were writing about like the off-season destinations piece, and then you were just like so strongly for Venice in February, and I was like, I need a full explanation. So it's nice to hear like why in your words, and it's just like so poetic. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. I really feel like you should probably tell bedtime stories, Mark. <laughs> like, <laughs> Once upon a time, I feel like there's an important distinction that we need to make, and it came up when we were planning for this episode. When does winter begin for you? We know that the first day of winter is technically, you know, around the solstice, right, December 21st. But what do you think, personally? Winter doesn't really exist where I live in <laughs> California. It starts and ends when I drive up and back down a local mountain, like to Mammoth Lakes or Big Bear. And at about, I don't know, six 6,000 feet, you start to see snow. But it's certainly not Thanksgiving or December when it's still warm and sunny. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Although around here, people love to dress up in woolly hats and coats in this first <laughs> sign of a slightly chilly wind. Like hotels in Santa Monica have big log fires and, you know, no. everyone's desperate to pretend it's winter, but it, it's not. <laughs> I feel like for me, like it is like right after Thanksgiving, because I feel like the pre-winter holiday, <laughs> like it's it, it gets you in the mood, you know, to me, that's when the winter starts is when you just like start taking down all the fall stuff. And like, I just feel like all of December, that's when winter starts, you know, yeah. weather wise. Winter is a state of mind. Yes. <laughs> It is. It is. As is fall when the pumpkin spice latte comes out. Although, like, I had a pumpkin spice latte the other day and it felt so wrong. I think they're just wrong. I was going to say it's just wrong as an yeah. idea, not as, not as a timing. It's wrong any time of year. <laughs> Even the, the depths of winter when you're just yeah. freezing, you wouldn't want to clutch a steaming hot pumpkin spice latte. You couldn't. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it yeah. would take for me to ingest something that toxic. I'd rather drink nuclear waste. You got to just ask for just one pump of the toxic syrup, but then you're getting into the personalization thing. Maybe no. one, one a year. Just buy it and have a sip. And yeah, there you go. On. <laughs> what about Mark for you? When does winter begin? So I'm going to pledge. I'm going to sort of. I'm going to. I'm going to reveal my cards a little here. I am not a skier, a snowboarder, and growing up in Britain, I don't go somewhere to find more cold. I grew up in Britain, surrounded by rain. <laughs> in America, I have lived in Chicago and New York, where winter is with a capital W. So for me, yeah. winter is all about what can you do to try and offset what you're enduring. So my trips are always, so I think winter starts when the weather really bites. January, February, when you get those minus temperatures, even in Fahrenheit, that's winter to me. And that's when I'm on a plane to the Caribbean. I, I guess I'm the opposite. Yeah, I was barbecuing outside yesterday in the sun in early September, day, daydreaming about gloomy Scandinavia or snowy <laughs> Jackson Hole or wherever but then you know I'm lucky that I have this weather but yeah it's just something different isn't it yeah it's nice to just have a change in pace a change from whatever it is you're used to whether that's sun or gray or snow is anyone else a skier or a snowboarder a snow lover in some way or form 
Well, I tested it out like this past February. <laughs> I went to Whistler. I'd never gone to skiing before. So this was trial by fire. <laughs> like, I decided that I was not much of a skier when I ran into the magic carpet. <laughs> a very kind Australian helped me up. <laughs> but I spent the next day at like the village. And I, I think I just underestimated, like, even though I didn't like skiing or the outdoor activities I still really enjoyed my time in the village I went to an escape room you know I had, I had some <laughs> drinks with friends I was just like walking around shopping I was like oh my god there's a lululemon here I'm kind of glad my first experience was there where it was like I had the option to do things that weren't ski activities if I didn't like skiing <laughs> see I think in North America we have quite a skewed view of that because the North American mm -hmm. resorts tend to be high enough that they rarely suffer from a dearth of snow so they mm -hmm. yes there are other things to do but they're never worried that you won't be able to ski or snowboard it's just a bonus whereas I think if you're like me I love going to Stad, I love going to Cortina d'Ampezzo because those are very low resorts so they often struggle I was in mm. Stad in January and I was there for the first day of snow which was January 9th and the European wow. ski resorts are sort of configured to be kind of, if you want to ski, sure. But if not, just take the lift to the top of the mountain and there's a gourmet restaurant there for the views. Yeah, we had a whole couple of pieces on Apre Ski on the site a couple of years ago. But I personally, I, I've done the skiing and snowboarding and things, but snowboarding I'm terrible at. But last <laughs> year in Yellowstone in the winter, did snowshoeing and cross-country skiing, both for the first time. And I put up a picture of the snowshoeing and someone commented like, I don't get the appeal. It's just like harder, colder hiking. But I loved it. It's <laughs> yeah. like the, the the silence, the pure snow that you're walking on, the fact you might fall in a big hole and the, just the wind and the swish <laughs> of the, the snowshoes. It was really calm. And, and yeah, and cross-country skiing as well and all the roads that were closed. So the place was so much quieter, no, no cars around, closed roads. But I didn't realize there's no way to s slow down or stop. Um, <laughs> you can't, yeah. you, you've got to keep your skis parallel cross-country skiing so when it's a downhill you just hope for the best <laughs> there's Which no pizza there. <laughs> yeah. mark's face uh it's i enjoy this it. is like I, the, no, I'm the pumpkin you, spice latte of activities to me i feel like i'm just like why <laughs> would you do this well it's kind of like you do a morning of something like that and then an afternoon in a hot tub supper repeat yeah, exactly. I'm with you. And I think there's just something so magical about being outside in the trees with the snow, you know, like you're saying, the quiet, and it's just very transporting. All right. Well, I think this is a good time to talk a little bit about actual destinations. And Mark, you write these stories for us each month about where travelers should go next. Recently, you wrote about where travelers should go in November. And I think that you're thinking about December. Do you want to talk about yeah, some of your recommendations? You're seeing behind the scenes here because Claire <laughs> and I literally just took, took this through because we work on this together. I think, you know, again, I do think that if you're going to go somewhere for the winter, go somewhere that does winter well. So Vienna is is a destination that when you picture it, you don't think of Vienna in the summer when you're biking by the Danube. You think Glühwein and glittery lights. Vienna has wonderful, wonderful Christmas markets and it's got a lot of new, great new hotels. Mm. I, of course, want to go somewhere warm. And I think it's really easy to forget that our winter is down under summer. And if you go, we talked about going to North Island in New Zealand for a food and wine festival. And remember, somewhere like New Zealand is glorious in the summer. And it's when we're yeah. at our most miserable in the Northern Hemisphere. That's amazing. 
I would be down in Miami for Basel every December. I know it's mm-hmm. chaos and everyone pretends they hate it. And then they go and they have a great time and they come back and like, oh, it was terrible. Too many people. Oh, it was awful. No, it's not. It's kind of wonderful and chaotic. I've never yeah. been. What do you like about it? Like, what's the fun part about the chaos? <laughs> I think Miami is a chaotic city. And so I like when a city leans into what it's supposed to be. And when 19 things are going on at once, half of it's in Spanish, half of it's in English, there's this thing there, everyone, there's like permanent FOMO. And it, it just feels the most yeah. Miami, <laughs> Miami you can get. And I love that. I love that sense of so, yeah. it's absolutely relentlessly nonstop. And that's kind of part of what makes, Miami's one of my favorite places. And it's, I used to go there for months at a time. And I love that relentlessness. That's interesting. That, that reminds me of what I love about my favorite music festivals is you f- after, at the end of it, you feel like you could have relived it five different ways. Thank you. That's much more succinct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would also say there's a really, um, I love Southern Belize. Placencia in Southern Belize has, has been gussied up since I first went, but it's a gorgeous part of Belize and it doesn't have the sand flies that Keokorka and the North does. But there's a winter marathon in that part of Belize. So if you want to go somewhere warm but be active rather than just sit on the beach, I think Southern Belize is the best of both worlds. You can do that in December. That's interesting. Yeah, I went to Belize in March, but I was further north up in um, San Pedro and the uh, snorkeling and the diving around the reef there is amazing. And we went to the western side and you can just see it's starting to get more developed and um, tracks are being brought up for hotels. So it definitely feels like that whole stretch of coast is changing and now's a good i mean it's already fairly developed i had a great a travel agent say to me once look if you want to go to the maldives but you don't want to hike halfway around the world the fringing reefs in belize are four and a half hours from the east coast and you're getting that maldivian experience because the water is bright blue the reefs are right there and it does get overlooked i think it's the country in central america partly because it's english speaking it has a very different heritage from the rest of central america i think people tend to be like, oh yeah, Belize. It's the last response in a trivia question asking to list (laughs) the countries in Central America. It's also small. It's a small country, easy to get around, lots to do in a small space. And as as you were mentioning in the Where to Go November piece, there's a whole Garifuna festival happening that time of year. We often overlook the Caribbean indigenous culture that there was because it got so erased by waves of settlement. And the Garifuna Mm. is essentially, there is still quite a significant presence in, in that part of Belize for the indigenous people it's a remixed version of their culture it's definitely been influenced by the arrival of of others but it is a glimpse sort of past the waves of settlement and it's a great chance to see a very different version of central america i love that yeah my only experience is in a restaurant cultural center in san pedro and they had Mm -hmm. um drumming and dancing and some amazing Hoodit, I think it's called, like a fish stew with coconut milk and Scotch bonnet peppers and yams. And it's wow. delicious. Yeah. Mm. Well, you mentioned Christmas markets, Mark. And when we were planning for this episode, both Tim and Chloe got very excited about the idea of Christmas markets. Why, why are those so appealing to you in Europe, particularly like doing a Christmas market tour? Yeah, I guess like for me, it's because I haven't been to like any Christmas markets, but I think it was Claudia, part of like the video team at Afar, and she had a video on the Christmas markets of like Salzburg, the traditions, like I think they had a a Krampus run where people dress 
dressed up like Krampus. <laughs> so I don't know. It was just like those cool traditions. And I think just the atmosphere of everything just yeah. made me like, oh man, like that's something I would really want to do. Just the idea of them and the photos you see and the food and the glue vine and the, you know, the little huts with all the twinkling lights on it. It just feels like Christmas. You know, I've been to Bruges in December and that was kind of like that. But yeah, nothing like the uh, the real ones. Amma Waterways does a cruise on the Rhine that goes through Cologne, Strasbourg and some other places. And I just thought that would be quite a nice thing yeah. to do if you yeah, take my yeah. heart, something <laughs> like that. I would also give, can I, can I make a pitch for an unexpected Christmas market that I went to as a kid and yeah. that I really love and we featured last December? Naples is where the nativity scene as we know it originated. And because of Capo di Monte and the, the porcelain that's made around there, they still have an incredible Christmas ornament manufacturing industry. And the presepe, oh. the nativities, are all around Naples. And Naples has wonderful Christmas markets. And wow. I think it's unexpected because we think of it as so middle European. I'll give you a sneak preview and a piece we've got coming up on a writer from England as well. is um, writing a, a piece for us about why Stockholm is delightfully Christmassy as well. Oh. So keep an eye out for that. There's also, we had an article a year or so ago about Christmas markets in the US. There's plenty here. There's one really near me, Julefest Jule in Solvang, the Danish version oh cool california i've never been to i think i might wow. go this year yeah. savannah georgia has one there's a chris kindle market in chicago so you know they're everywhere you know where else is a an unexpected christmas hub is san diego san diego has several oh. of america's largest <laughs> christmas stores mostly because the houses are big and people are rich and they have room for things but if you love oh, yeah. christmas just google san diego christmas stores and it will blow your mind. Like shopping for lights and ornaments, oh, things like that? A little bit more than that. I mean, we're Every talking <laughs> like 30,000 square foot spaces with 10,000 square foot warehouses where you can wow, buy, you know, wow. automated Santas and personally engraved oh. ornaments. I mean, imagine a mall, but yeah. just Christmas. So then I wonder, the Christmas lights must be really fun to drive around in San Diego. They must like it's more that they're selling. It's more that they're selling selling you Christmas rather than celebrating uh. Christmas. Do you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. I think it's more City Lights is the big one, which is run by a British guy. But there's also mm. Rogers Gardens uh, in Corona del Mar. A couple of those. They're really extraordinary. So go with a couple empty suitcases and get your mechanical Santa. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think: Are there any kind of dream winter destinations that you all have? Yeah, I guess I have like two. Okay, so I have one that's like a warm weather one, and then I have like a cold weather one. So warm weather one, speaking to like my family's heritage, like I would love to go to the Philippines in the winter time because yeah. not a lot of people know this, but it has like the longest Christmas season <laughs> of really? any country. Christmas season starts like it starts ramping up like August, <laughs> so it's now already <laughs> the beginning of Christmas. Wow, it lasts until a little bit after the New Year. So the festivities are crazy. People just love celebrating Christmas. And there are a lot of like different traditions and like the lights and everything like that. And then cold weather destination. Excuse the car horn. <laughs> cold weather destination. I would love to go to Montreal. 
I think because I know that, you know, yeah. they do like winter big there. I know there's like Igloo <laughs> Fest, which is like a whole electronic music festival that happens. And I think they just really embrace the winter. They have like, was it Luminotherapy um, where it's like they have a whole... I guess, set of temporary public art installations that are set up throughout the season and just kind of get people kind of embracing winter and, you know, in the festivity mood, despite being in like such a freaking cold place. So those are my two dream destinations. I love it. I want to go to Japan because Japan Mm -hmm. as a culture, obviously, is not a Christian culture. Firstly, I want to experience Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas Day, which is the contemporary yes. Japanese tradition. And, I, and I'd love to experience that. But I'd also, I want to see Fukubukuro, which are every new year, Japan's stores sell lucky dip bags, which are good luck for the new year. And so you, it's sort of you go in to each store and there will be for, you know, the equivalent of 20 bucks, it'll be guaranteed 50 bucks worth of stuff. And I just love the idea of, all these fukubukuro, and it's a really, you know, it's a Japanese tradition that has sort of been yoked onto our Christmas season, and I want to sort of see that for myself. I'd have to give uh, plus one to Montreal, but I'm not so sure about fast food on Christmas Day, having, having had <laughs> Carl's, Carl's Jr. one Christmas one in Palm Springs. I'd like to see more of America's ski towns, like Telluride, Jackson Hole, places like that at that time of mm. year. I feel like I could explore more of those. And quite honestly, I'd love to just get back to London. I miss that London in general, but especially that time of year, concerts at the Royal Albert Hall and the South Bank Centre on the Thames and just wandering between the pubs, trying to get on the tube with loads of shopping bags and getting a couple of pints to steal your nerves for that. And, uh, I don't it's know, quite I a lyrical like thing. That. This is like a day, a sort of fever dream that we're part of. <laughs> it is. I'm going to make it a reality. Okay. Fantasies are important. But what about the realities of traveling? We'll get into those tips for navigating winter travel after a special word from our sponsor. But first, a quick piece of winter travel trivia. Here's the question. What is the snowiest city in the world? Is it A, Syracuse, New York? B, Chamonix, France? C, Aomori City, Japan? Or D, Quebec City, Canada? I'll reveal the answer after the break. If you're looking for a taste of something new, then I am excited to tell you about Foods That Matter, a new podcast that takes foodies to different corners of the world, unlocking the secrets of the globe's most extraordinary cuisines. Join host and food archaeologist John Robert Sutton, also known as the Indiana Jones of food, on a culinary thrill across the world, where you'll gain deep insights into food culture a better understanding of food origins, and learn how to discover these culinary treasures all on your own. Follow Foods That Matter wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Are you still wondering about the snowiest city in the world? The answer is C, Aomori City in northern Japan. It gets about 26 feet of snow each year thanks to these chilly Siberian winds that sweep in from the northwest every November. Brr. Okay, and now back to the show. 
we've been talking a lot about fantasies and dreams and but we have to you know face the reality of traveling you have to travel to get somewhere <laughs> right so let's talk a little bit about intel and some tips maybe for navigating this winter season i mean this summer was pretty intense right do you anticipate i mean if anyone has a crystal ball do you anticipate this winter being equally intense from a travel perspective remember the issue is it doesn't matter how much we're traveling, there is still a dearth of air traffic controllers and pilots who weren't hired over the pandemic. So the travel industry, whatever we do, it's already at breaking point operationally. And we saw that I was caught up uh, at the end of August, the whole of UK airspace shut down for a day because someone filed the wrong flight plan. And it cancelled every flight into the UK. I was transiting from Greece to the UK to the US. And I ended up booking a miles flight from Athens to JFK as a replacement. And I think that's always one of my tips. I, I use my miles for emergencies. I don't use them. Yeah. They sit in my account so that when I need a flight that's going to be really expensive, I don't care. And I always think in times like these when there are, if you catch a sort of stress point or a crisis... Check and see if you've got any miles that you can throw at the problem because it doesn't feel like money down the drain. I was just looking at the TSA screening numbers for, for Labor Day weekend and they're up. They screened 9.5 million people, up 11% increase on 2019. So I imagine it's going to be the same for Thanksgiving, Christmas itself, New Year, you know, those times. For me, I, I always, in the winter, I try and think about airports with more reliable weather. So luckily, LA, London, on the whole, if something's going wrong, it's more technical, but you never know these days. But yeah, I would definitely think carefully about which airport and their local weather patterns. Atlanta, not Chicago, in other words. If you're going in direct, take a Delta flight via Atlanta, not United via Chicago, because over under, Chicago is likelier to have tougher weather. Another, another point towards winter sun as well. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, you mentioned this earlier in terms of the ideal time to book flights. What do you think when it comes to winter travel? Of course, it depends on, you know, when in winter, you know, if you're going to do holiday travel versus going in someplace in January or February. But any tips there? There's an email from going.com. Book those winter holiday flights now. And they, they say book opposite seasons. So if you're going in Christmas, summer is the time to book. And the point they made was that if you're buying yeah. a winter coat, you'd get it in the summer, vice versa. True. So it's not a bad thing to bear in mind, but too late for this year. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think these, it is, just let's establish once and for all, it is an utter canard. It is a canard that there is any magic window, any magic date, any magic time. <laughs> it is repeatedly burped out by travel companies in order to get us all talking about them, that they have identified the 13th day of December as the one, you know, <laughs> the 43rd of January as the data. There are lots of ways to get great deals. A lot of them involve signing up for services like Airfare Watchdog or going that tell you when a sale on certain routes that you're interested in happens. Those sales can happen at any point or at any time. And if you're listening to this and thinking, oh gosh, I've missed that window, don't let marketing needs make guilt you into thinking, I have no hope. And also some of these peak times, they don't, you're not going to see sales, right? So 
Oh, they did see that Google Flights has launched a new sort of tool when you, if you're tracking flights, it will give you the price history for that time. I'm finding that quite useful. I'm trying to get five flights back to the UK next summer and they're not going to really change at all because it's summer holiday time. I think the same probably applies for winter, but there are more tools out there you can look at. And don't forget, and I think this is one of those revelations when you think about it, Thanksgiving is only a holiday for America. For the rest of the world, it's just a random Thursday in November. Mm -hmm. If you want to score a cheap, empty flight to Europe, the only other people on that flight from America are Americans going to visit their European family to make the most of the holiday. It's one of the cheapest, best times to fly anywhere other than domestically. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Spain, I think it was like, yeah, during Thanksgiving. And I was like, where should I go? And I was like, you know what? Instead of eating Thanksgiving turkey, I'm going to go to Turkey. And it was great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> is that true for Christmas Day as well itself? Like, is that a cheap day to fly? Christmas Day. Yeah. So basically just ignore the holidays. Like, yeah. holiday. <laughs> it's, it's like seeing um, Disneyland on the Super Bowl. It's supposed to be the best day, right? Yeah, yeah. So, or to go to Costco. <laughs> <laughs> or both, if you really fancy. So, Mark and Tim, you mentioned a while back that you have a favorite time to travel around the winter holidays. Do you want to share that tip? Yeah, I mean, my favorite time is between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, I went to Aspen and the slopes were fairly empty. I went to Fiji and the resort only had two or three other couples in it. It's a tough time to take off with the build up to the holidays and work yeah. and the end of year rush and whatever you've got going on in your daily life. But If you can take that time out, it seems like there are definitely less people on the road. I would also say Las Vegas is one of my absolute favorite places in the world. And if you want, if you like me love Las Vegas, by far the cheapest time to go is exactly that window. Because it's the time when no one is really thinking about Vegas. New Year's Eve, you'll pay, you know, $8,000 for a hotel room. That same hotel room three weeks earlier will probably be 300 bucks. And the weather's fine. Vegas it chugs along, same old, same yeah. old, great time to go. How many times have you been to Vegas? Uh, oh, I mean, I've lost count. I, I, it is the place, <laughs> if you said to me, where in America do you want to go on a plane tomorrow? I'd go to Las Vegas. How many times a year do you go? Couple, at least a couple. And for fun. Okay, okay. I mean, we travel yeah. a lot for work, but I go on my own dime. I've lived in America for the majority of my life. But someone said to me, Las Vegas is what smart Europeans hope America is like, and it's what smart Americans <laughs> worry America is like. And I will always be European in that way. I just love it. It's sort of like if Cher were a place, she would be Las Vegas. <laughs> and you're like, good for you. Like, you keep trucking. And it just, I feel like Las Vegas is like, <laughs> bring it on. You know what you want? I'm going to give it to you in space. Yeah. Three or four days, and then you leave. Yeah, it's one of those, you're, you're always really excited to go there and always really excited to Ooh. leave again. Yes. <laughs> Now I'm going to want to do Thanksgiving in Vegas. There you go. That sounds like it would be amazing. Tim, you had mentioned that when we were talking about kind of thinking about weather conditions, that you'd had to postpone a Yosemite trip a couple of years back that you had planned for the winter. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, we had a, a few days booked in a cabin actually within the park. And, you, you know, that time of year, that kind of place, you're keeping an eye on the weather and it didn't look good. And I had visions of being on the side of the road with three young children waiting for help 
you can get chains for the tires and you can check ways in the weather reports, but the car's not even four wheel drive. So it was a bit daunting. And then they just cancelled it. The hotel was closed. But so, yeah, I mean, we ended up going two months later and had a great time. So I suppose mm. you just, you know, you need to hold those um, points in reserve and keep your eye on things and have a backup plan. Yeah. But I really enjoyed seeing the national parks in the winter, like Yosemite and Yellowstone, a very different experience. But if you're not with a tour group or, you know, organized trip it is a bit more dicey can i suggest next time you invest in a policy with sensible weather the new insurance company yeah which i think if people haven't come across it it's essentially the insurance against bad weather give or take it doesn't cover everything but you can opt into this when you book from certain platforms and it will automatically give you some money back if the weather you were expecting is not dutifully delivered by the planet it's such an interesting, we just did an episode about travel insurance and I interviewed Nick Cavanaugh, the guy who, who co-founded it. And I was like, so really, if you have a bad day, it rains, you can't do what you want to do. That's, that's it. That's the whole idea. It's, it's brilliant. Or skiing, you know, if you're skiing, the weather isn't what you were hoping to be. That's so, yeah, great, great policy. Tim, what do you, what did you like about Yellowstone and Yosemite in the winter? Like what was the appeal for you? Well, I mean, I forget the numbers, but Yellowstone is a million million visitors in July and 70,000 or something in February. You know, you don't get those lines of cars taking photos of bison. You, you just you just have it to yourself. There's, there were a few photographers there and a few, a few intrepid winter hiker types. But, you know, just lack of other people is mm-hmm. what I'm really, I mean, and the picturesque nature of it. Yeah. Is there like animals running around or are they all like hibernating? Yeah, no, loads, like loads of them. Yeah. And the wolves in Yellowstone are supposed to be like, you can actually go on a guided tour to if you want to specifically see the wolves there, which I think would be super cool. And literally cool. Cold. Didn't see them. (laughs) And we were actually supposed to go on a husky pulled sled, which got cancelled because it was too slushy. So I should have had sensible weather for that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see? (laughs) I also think the Grand don't forget the south rim of the Grand Canyon is open year round. And you will have a very different experience in the Grand Canyon, but it will be significantly less congested. As long as, I mean, January, February, we're talking, we're not saying go go between Christmas and New Year, but the Bright Angel Trail will be much less Times Square-ish in the countryside. So I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Are there any other um, national parks that you think would be interesting to explore in the winter that you have? We got married in Palm Springs and had a load of Brits over and took them for some pre-wedding day trips. And one of them was the Joshua Tree, and it was the one day of the year it was snowing. Oh, and wow. seeing Joshua Tree covered in snow was quite interesting. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Going to like Death Valley in the wintertime. Right? Yeah. It's the move. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> I know we're not a bunch of skiers here, but do you have any tips on traveling with winter gear, especially flying? Rent it when you get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't. <laughs> I do think, I think that even, I, I think unless you are a semi-pro level sports person, I don't know why people would travel with equipment like that. It's expensive. It's inconvenient. It will get damaged. Most places you go for these activities will rent good enough equipment for most amateurs to enjoy. I think when people, you sort of see people sort of clinging to their surfboard or their skis in the airport. And I think, gosh, that's made your experience more expensive, miserable, 
why the heck didn't you just rent it when you got there? I guess I realized the value of like winter apparel, like the appeal of just like the functionality of it. This past winter when I was traveling from like Canada, Seattle, and then I went to Japan for a little bit. It was like I had a blue jacket. It was for skiing, but it had like zippers at the top so you could remove the sleeves. <laughs> and it was kind of great because, you know, I was like when when you travel to like multiple countries and then the winter is just so different there. I was like, "All right, let me just take this off. I have a vest now." <laughs> so I think like, you know, the functionality of a lot of these like outdoor sports clothing is very useful if you're traveling to different places, especially in the winter time when, you know, some places it's going to be freezing and then some places you can just like adjust and then still make it work um and you know take up less space in your luggage so you can buy the mechanical santa uh, look, i'm, <laughs> not, I'm not investing in an rei puffer or anything performance because that's just not the world <laughs> but for people like me i would say uniqlo produces really cheap cheap durable puffer jackets that squish down into the size of a pair of socks and i think if you're going to winter destinations i will often pack a couple of those and they are if you double layer those they're a remarkable backstop that takes very little space because winter clothes are so bulky and those are essentially thermal vests that take up almost no space where do you guys stand on wearing your bulky stuff on a plane versus packing it are you the person in the airport with the massive jacket and the hiking boots or do you rather have two suitcases (laughs) I, ju- I just interviewed people uh, about the fishing vest hack, and there there are oh. indeed special companies that produce clothing expressly for you to put your clothes in your clothes. <laughs> but I think people who wear their bulkiest stuff onto the plane are below people who put their bare feet on the seat in front in passenger hierarchy. <laughs> I'd rather snuggle up to someone's jacket than their bare arm, though, if we're sharing arm <laughs> that's, that's I don't want to snuggle up to them, period. That's the whole point. <laughs> like, I, I paid for my own seat. Please don't have your <laughs> giant puffer jacket providing me with an unwanted pillow. That is... I don't... Oh, no, no, no. See, okay, I'm the type of person who wears the bulky stuff on the plane. <laughs> you guys so, are so opposite. You it's like, it. no, we're like, like, Mark and I are the same in terms of, like, destinations and things, but, like, how we travel is so different. But I am the type of person, but it's, it's like, so useful because, as you said, like, I can turn my jacket into a pillow. And it's like, you know, I usually take the window seat and usually there's just like two. that space person, aren't you? The you're literally, you're, you're like, like that, like, like that person who looks like a sort of walking igloo of clothes. And there's two little feet sticking out of the bottom. And people can't really tell when they try and identify you. You've got your hood down and they're not sure if you're who you are. They, you're that person. There's always one in the window. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that person like all the time. I'm like because I'm just like you know what? No, no need for a carry on. I can do a, I can just do a personal. Oh, item. You're, you're not even doing carry on. Wow, Chloe, that's, that's impressive. <laughs> We're gonna need I'm wearing all my clothes for the week. Anyone who does, <laughs> like, anyone who wants to ignore me and buy one of the, it's by a company called Scotty Vest, and they are if you wear them, you can't tell that you've got three pairs of shoes and a handbag in each of the pockets. They're quite remarkably designed. I don't know about that. I will wear like my puffer jacket on the plane, but then I take it off and I'll either put it in my lap or if there's space to put it up above a seat, I feel like I don't need it because it is huge. It takes up a lot of space in your suitcase, you know, and if you are going someplace cold, you want it. But yeah, the Uniqlo vests, those are, those are great. 
No, I think I think <laughs> I think packing in the winter, and this is this is one of my big things. I don't understand why there is a moral virtue in packing as little as you can. There is this weird sense that if you manage to board a plane without a, a carry-on, you have somehow hacked the system. And I don't necessarily carry my entire life with me, but just check a bag. I know it costs something, just check a bag. Put an air tag in it so you know where it is. It is not morally superior to somehow not have luggage. I, you, it's just a choice. It's like coffee with <laughs> or without milk. Totally up to you. We can agree to disagree. I, I've started just getting down to one backpack for conferences. And uh, my son got his finger trapped in a bag, well, not trapped, but nicked by a baggage carousel in Cabo last month. I'm like, if I can get off that plane and just walk out of the airport, no baggage carousel, no oversized luggage, and then get in the line for customs and just wait there instead. <laughs> but, you know, like <laughs> I, just the, just not having to think about things and forget them and all of that, I'd much rather have one less pair of pants or whatever than to deal with that. I know, but that's fine. <laughs> but, My point is, Tim, I, the thing is, I, I don't know where the moral superior... There is something that is when mm -hmm. someone says... I never check any carry-on. It's a bit like saying, I do, you know, I do 12 hours of community service every week. You're like, you just, okay, sure. <laughs> but there is a slight like, yeah, oh. Yeah, yes. The smugness yeah. is Oh, you palpable. checked your bag. Oh, yes. you checked a yeah. bag. Yes, I did, because I yeah, can. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. I wouldn't say it's like smugness. I would say it's just more like, you know, like you just love getting a good deal. Like you just no, love being able to. Yeah, no, it's smugness. Yeah, Don't do pretend. That. You've done it and been like, yeah, I'm wearing all of my clothes. Probably a whole other topic, but travel, travel is so hard. It's hard. So when you yeah. get some hacks and you do it right and you, you you can pat yourself on the back for like getting one journey yeah. right and yeah. not having any mishaps. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. But what about New Year's travel, traveling for New Year's specifically? Yay, nay. I've always found there's too much pressure on New Year's Eve to be the best night of the year. And it often wasn't when I was younger. I'm just asleep by nine o'clock, 10 o'clock anyway. So uh, <laughs> those days will come back. But yeah, I don't travel for New Year at all. I don't, I don't even make it up to see it well actually no i celebrate the east coast new year and then good yeah <laughs> that's amazing Woo! you're like oh it's but, you know if you're watching new year in the east coast i go to bed now well if you're watching it on tv it's just you're just watching exactly. Times square when everyone's left and they're just they're trying to drag it out for the west coasters see i think there's a rule around new year's eve if you try and go to event destinations in New Year's Eve, the Vegas is the Miami's. Someone, a friend of mine who was a promoter in Miami said that she made 40% of her money for the year on New Year's Eve. You will wow. pay through wow. the nose. I think if yeah. you travel on New yeah. Year's Eve, it is road trips only. It is mm -hmm. rent a cabin in the hills, you know, do a staycation. If you'd like to make New Year's Eve a little special, make sure it's not more than a couple of hours worth of trekking and then you won't pay through the nose you're not going to a big event but you're just saying hey i want to treat myself i think that's a way yeah. to travel on new year's eve and not think gosh i regret that expense yeah 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 a cabin with a few good friends that's yeah. A good idea. yeah yeah 
Yeah. Bottle of champagne, Chloe. Yeah, I guess like, I'm kind of conflicted because this is my first time that I will have the opportunity to experience a New York <laughs> New Year's. So yeah, I don't know uh, where I stand because usually our family, we have like a tradition of having like a karaoke party just at our, our house, which is like, you know, a nice like, uh, cabin-esque kind of yeah. atmosphere where it's just like, you know, just with family and stuff. But you know, just being in New York for it. I mean, I don't think I would do Times Square, but maybe like the couple hours trek would be like, you know, taking the L to uh, get to my friend's apartment kind of <laughs> situation. Because I think with like crazy crowds, I don't know. I feel like that might be yeah. that might be a little too much and take all the joy out of it. I, yeah. If there's anyone <laughs> listening who has gone to Times Square for New Year's Eve and not regretted it, I'd love to hear because... Ooh, that's a poll. No we'll do. one I have ever met says anything other than, gosh, I'm glad I did that once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can say I've done it, check. You know, I will say I we didn't do this intentionally, but about five or six years ago I had the opportunity to go to Antarctica and it was right after Christmas and we were there for New Year's and that was my favorite New Year's to date because we're out it's still light you know it's midnight and this pod of whales came up at the time and we were passing these gorgeous icebergs and everyone it was like a French cruise so it was a bunch of drunk French people a bunch of drunk Russians and then a handful of Americans and it was the best oh, you it was New just Year. the best I love so, you kept that going <laughs> That's like yeah. all of us are just swooning. That's that's it you, was it you was proof you should travel for New Year because if you're doing that, hey. who wouldn't want to do that? Well, screw family karaoke shoot. <laughs> yeah. Penguins, drunk Russians, whales. Wow. I, I think that's it, y'all. That was thank you so much. This was delightful as usual. It was good seeing you, everybody and talking with everybody. Yeah. We'll see you next season. Yeah, yeah, see you next yeah. season. Same time next season. <laughs> yeah, same time next season. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening this season. Afar's Where to Go 2024 list comes out in November, and we'll be exploring that in the very first episode of next season. We'll also link to Mark's Where to Go in November and December stories in the show notes, as well as to Mark, Chloe, and Tim's social media handles in case you want to follow them or just, you know, disagree with them about their controversial opinions on pumpkin spice lattes and packing winter gear. We'll see you next year. As a final farewell, a few outtakes from this episode. Well, I just like made a makeshift parfait. I got like Greek yogurt and then I put an Oreo in it. Is that a parfait? <laughs> or is it just cookies for breakfast? Parfait. American breakfast is just perfect. an excuse to have cake. Just an excuse to have cake. <laughs> and we love it. Yes, yeah, we'll stand by. First time seeing a man in a suit where eating an IHOP breakfast in Austin, Texas. And just bundle of like whipped cream and I said what is going oh. on here? <laughs> I feel like Mark is disgusted by me I'm like, no. I don't even care anymore. I'm just like disgusted. you know I've worn pants as a scarf before so. <laughs> I think you should travel next to him in all the puffer jackets but then no shoes or socks yeah, just, yeah. yeah like, ah. and put your feet on the on the back of his seat on his arm as I short circuit ready for more unpacking visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter we're at afar media if you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. 
This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Email us at unpackedatafar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it. Unpack it.